ever wondered why African contributions to philosophy, science and technology do not rank alongside other more recent civilizations? Well, I think it is because we do not know enough. Some brilliant archaeologists and historians have been busy and know much more. Welcome to the Ancient Roots Podcast, dedicated to conversations with these archaeologists and historians to discover and to wonder the how the ways of the ancients could help our modern ways. Thank you, George Abungu, for being here with us. George is the owner of Okelo Abungu Heritage Consultants. He was the Director General of National Museums of Kenya. And before that, he was Head Coastal Archaeologist and Head Coastal Museums Program at the National Museum of Kenya. He studied at uh, University of Nairobi and Cambridge University. And he has a BA, MPhil, and PhD from Cambridge University. Welcome, George, and thank you for being here with us. Thank you very much, Joseph. Thank you for having me over. It's a pleasure to, to be with you. So let's quickly jump into this. Our listeners may be wondering with me, why archaeology? How did you get to where you are today in archaeology? Well, that's a very interesting question. Archaeology, how did I get into archaeology and why archaeology? To start with the reason discussing why, I think archaeology is a very important subject in that it goes beyond history. It does go beyond what historical methods can be able to provide you with. And so if you are someone who is inquisitive of the past, who understands the value of that past, and uh, the past, of course, shapes us, it makes us what we are and what we want to be. It also shows what our ancestors have bequeathed us. So if you are an inquisitive person and you want to go what historical records provide you, you have to go to archaeology. And I think that I was um, an inquisitive child from the beginning. I, I like to explore. I wanted questions of answers to questions that I did not understand. So I was, I was always on the edge. And so when I got an opportunity, when I went to the University of Nairobi, I joined the archaeology class. And we were only three of us in that class who did archaeology. And all of us managed to go through. I think we all managed to get a PhD at the end. And we have contributed on our own uh, different ways. But cut the story short is that I think I was quite inquisitive of the past and, and appreciated what uh, my ancestors had done. I think there had been a lot of, when you go through university, you are told, oh, Africa had no history. And then I was asking myself, how can Africa have no history? Now, through archaeology, I, I have been able to understand that Africa is probably the richest continent in terms of historical records, uh, contrary to this uh, earlier thought. Um, and and, and uh, that, you know, when we're looking at Africa as a continent, it's the cradle of humankind. This yeah. is where the first human sort of stood up. Without archaeology and paleont paleontology, you would not be able to know that. 
we were the first inventors of tools. So the earliest stone tools are found in Africa. Mm. Uh, we are the inventors of fire. Uh, of course, fire could have been there, you know, through lightning and all that. But controlled fire that, you know, brought people together to create sort of uh, communities. Uh, the, the evidence is first found in Africa. So Africa has a lot. And it is through archaeology that we have been able to uh, be able to understand all these. So archaeology is critical in uh, understanding our being, in understanding ourselves, in understanding where we come from. And this helps us to focus on where we would like to go. So in short, that's how I would like to answer your question of why archaeology and how I came into this. I think it wasn't purely by accident. I think it was by choice to some extent because of my inquisitiveness to be able to know things about the past. Thank you. Thank you. When you say inquisitive, as an inquisitive person, I can see how that would uh, play out into that that curiosity about what's, what was there before. And it is really valuable, especially for Africans, but for people everywhere in the world to know that there is more to the stories we've heard or the, the general um, stories about what Africa is and what it holds. So may I ask you, could you share with us a couple of your inspiring archaeological projects that we may not have heard about? Thank you very much, uh, Joseph. It's, it's very difficult, you know, having been in this business for the last 40 years and having uh, done archaeology in Africa, many parts of Africa, Europe, and many other continents, it's very difficult to choose one. But maybe I, I, I would point out a few of the ones that have been involved lately, and then also on the particular ones that sort of built my career. I was a professor of heritage studies and archaeology at the University of Mauritius. And uh, during that time, I got the opportunity to work on some very specific sites. Uh, one of these uh, was the site that was dealing with the issue of uh, settlements of uh, enslaved people in Mauritius, those who rebelled. They were called the Maroons. So they rebelled and ran away from their uh, the plantation farms and went on to top of the mountains. And uh, there they had to survive by all means because they were being hunted by their owners. But through blood and spirit, these people were able to survive and create a colony up there. And uh, that's one area that I have, it's been very special because I worked on caves that uh, they were able to survive and live and, and, uh, until freedom came. The other one is in a, a small island called uh, Rodrigues. Rodrigues is a small island off Mauritius coast. And uh, during the colonial times, they claimed that a lot of treasures were buried. You know, some of these treasures were supposed to be taken to the French emperor. And uh, there, there were these pirates who managed to convert these things and they were buried and then they were arrested and they never told anybody where they buried them. So they, some claim that they were in Mauritius, others claim in Rodrigues, others claim in Reunion. But to cut the story short, these people were, this person was actually sentenced to death in Madagascar and I think he was hanged there. So people have been looking for these treasures. I had an opportunity asked by the government there if we could 
use a theological methodology to trace this. Although we didn't find them, it was very interesting, you know, the way people were so interested in finding this. We had to be guarded by actually by the police <laughs> because people wanted to come and see exactly what was happening. But of critical importance is what I would say, the archaeology of the Kenyan coast which is the Swahili archaeology, that I'm a, I'm a Swahili archaeologist. I've worked in, on the Kenyan coast. Now, these are major settlements uh, which emerged during the 7th century AD, but even earlier, the Swahilis have always been there on the East African coast. And by around uh, the 10th century, they developed as very complex societies that had very far connections with the, in terms of trade with outside world. And so they built these major towns with, uh, you know, stone buildings from around the 9th, 10th century that survived to the present. And uh, I worked in one of them called Ungwana, and that's what my PhD thesis is based on. I was looking at the relations between the interior and the coast and how these settlements operated and who were these Swahili. And also looking at their long contacts with the outside world through the sea. and you know, treating the sea not as a barrier, but as a bridge, a bridge that uh, brought communities together, a bridge that brought cultures together, a bridge that brought goods together, and a bridge that also created a very rich forum for dialogue and discussion and even um, intellectual stimulation within this particular region. And so this, for me, have been very, very three different kinds of, uh, of archaeological experiences that I have gone through. But I think the coastal Swahili settlements are much more important to me because they demonstrate what the Africans were able to do from very long time ago. And although we know that there are written documents like the Periplus of the Eritrean Sea, the first century AD, Ptolemy's geography, third century document, and other documents in the 10th, 14th, 15th century that talk about this coast and the people, there had always been this idea that the people who built this fundamental, these complex societies were not Africans. But these documents I'm talking about used to say that these were Africans. But then there's a, a time came when the narrative sort of changed. So my work was also to look at exactly the origins and who these people were and what they achieved. And my thesis demonstrate that these were, and of course others who have also come uh, after me and even before me, that these were Bantu Africans who had uh, very good connections with the outside world, with Asia, with Arabia, and who gave and also got back some cultural traits and, and were able through accumulation uh, in terms of trade goods to build very complex societies on the East African coast and to develop uh, great networks, both in the interior as well as with other parts of the world from many, many generations ago, over a thousand years ago. So for me, those, those are fundamental kind of evidence that basically demonstrate the role that Africa has played and Africans have played in the development of humanity as well as in what we commonly call uh, the civilization of humanity and the global networks that have come to develop. And so globalization did not start in the 19th century. Globalization from the African perspective was there a long time ago, a thousand years ago, because they moved around and they had the crafts like 
that they were moving around and trading and 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 also giving out to people outside this particular mm. outside this continent. Mm. Yes, it's it's fascinating. But I'll start from so the three projects you've talked about, and I'll end with the last one, which is <laughs> the most fascinating for me. So the, you talked about the the looking back into the lives of the Maroons and what that must have been like to survive yeah. and how they survived. And then about this, um, the hunt for treasures, where you became the, <laughs> the, the investigator. It must be, it, because it, that's different, isn't it? You are looking on your own, but now you are being used, archaeology is being used as a tool yes. for finding wealth rather than uh, yeah, something on the side. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last one, with the, the term you used, that they saw the sea, as a bridge, not a barrier, mm. not something that kept people where they are, but actually gave them access to people even further away. And everything you, you've talked about there, this leads nicely into my next question, which is, so if this was the access they had to the other parts of the world and uh, accumulated and built these societies, what must life have been like for the ordinary person in East Africa, yeah, around that time, around that fifth or to the fifteenth century, or maybe a bit more, from what you've seen, what was life like for the ordinary person? Mm. Yes, I think I think this is a very good question. I think uh, what we see, for example, on the East African coast, are these nodes of uh, very of, of civilizations that had sort of wings you know moving into the interior and and because basically the, the the trade goods that were used to to build these particular uh, coastal settlements came from the interior you had forest products you know you had like ivory you had rhinoceros horns which were being exported you had uh, wood you had uh, you know different different kinds of of materials that came uh, even gold came from the southern part and the interior of Africa. So there were so many different kinds of, of things. There was this connection. The idea is that in the past, they were saying, oh, the coast was not looking toward the sea. It gave us back to the interior. But then what we have realized is that this was so much interdependent. So definitely the interior, the local communities were also engaged in this particular trade in one way or another. Even the pastoralists who are coming from deep in the interior moved with their cattle during transhumans, you know, when they are grazing together with the, with the items. So people were quite okay. And this is why I always tell people that sometimes it's so good and so critical for us to go back to our knowledge systems, traditional or indigenous knowledge systems, talking to the elders, listening to them. Because in those stories, that were disrupted, particularly during the colonial times, there is a lot of wealth. It shows you peaceful communities, although we had our souls, so our own you know, differences, but it shows you communities that were very flexible, that were interactive, that were marrying across the borders and they were trading with one another and they were building their societies in peace and they were contributing in different ways, even managing our own heritage putting value on heritage was there from the beginning. So you have sacred, sacred forests, 
that had been taken care of by the elders because of a reason, because of issues of identity, because of issues of land, because of issues of continuity. So the local person was very inventive and they kept these things through orality, through passing it from generation to generation. You had people, uh, communities that had, uh, you know, age systems. So each age system had its own uh, responsibility, junior elder, senior elder, junior, you know, juniors, and so on, went through different kinds of initiations. And so you find this very much in Africa. But I think we have come to lose this. And I think that there is a need to reconnect back with that through traditional knowledge systems, the knowledge of the past that actually shows some of the things that we used to do. And it's the elders who have had this knowledge. When an elder dies in Africa, it's like a library burning. And today in the present day, we don't take, we don't seem to take it very seriously. I personally have edited a book on traditional knowledge systems of managing heritage. And I think that we need to get more and more of this and to try to fit them within our present societies, rather than just saying, oh, the past had nothing because this is what we had been told it was. There is a lot of wealth in that. And so these particular coastal settlements and towns, these complex societies were part and parcel of the African landscape. And they, they were fed and were feeding, you know, both together. And so when you ask me about what the local person was like, the local person was very busy, you know, either in trade, bringing up, you know, uh, a, a proper society, well organized, and 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 passing that information, knowing that information is power to the next generation. Until a lot of disruption came, and sometimes we find that we have gaps. But it is time to probably uh, start taking seriously our traditional knowledge systems that have been, you know, either lost or that have been passed over from generation to generation. Thank you for that. And that's a really important point you make there, from my point of view, in the sense that, like you said, much of it has been lost because we have lost many elders in, and libraries with them. Mm. And perhaps for, the, for those that have been lost, mm. it may seem like there's no hope to yes. re regain or recover some of what they had mm. do you have any thoughts on how maybe if in a community there are no elders anymore who have this knowledge and they haven't passed it on how we could yeah how those could be could be found yes you see you will always get something within the community if you look critically i mean uh, we we were Quite um, a lot of that knowledge was devastated by either, you know, through our new religions or through different ways of acculturation and so on. But you will always find within the society one or two people who can still remember these things. And I think it's important that we record them. The second thing is that some of this knowledge is also held in material, material culture. And we know a lot of this material culture were also taken into the museums. So the museums play a critical role and we can still investigate a lot of this. When they were being taken, some of the notes were taken, you know, if you go into the archives. So the archival, archive is, 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 is a, a really a source that needs to be, be looked at critically. Unfortunately, a lot of the archival material are in Europe. 
a lot of the materials that uh, were museum materials are also in Europe. And I think that is why we are currently talking about the issue of, you know, restitution. And, and when we talk about restitution, it's not a matter of, uh, you know, offloading everything in Europe or, or America or wherever and bring back to Africa. It's really things that mean, mean, mean that have got meaning to us, like the questions you are asking, that can give us some of those bridges between the past and the present that have been lost. So a lot of uh, even colonial uh, administrators recorded a lot of these stories, and they may have looked at them from their own point of view. But as um, you know, academicians, intellectuals, we can be able to reinterpret some of this. So not everything is lost. I think we still have a lot of the material in Europe, in museums. Uh, we have some here. We have them in the archives. So where there are gaps, we can always appeal. We can always go back to the archives and to the museums and, and try to connect, connect those. And this is where archaeology is important because archaeology also gives us opportunity to dig the past and to interpret that past without uh, anybody disputing that because facts are facts. And that's why archaeology is very critical in our in developing the past that we see was contributory to our success at the present. And that could give us even more power and more courage and more opportunities to be able to, to create a future that includes that past, but that is beneficial to the youth and beneficial to, to the society at large. Because our, our elders were not just sitting and waiting for things to happen. They did a lot of things. And we need to, uh, to, to be able to, to accept that. And we need to be able to use that wisdom that they left behind, whether it is in the archive, in the museum material, or through archaeological excavations. Yes. It's, um, as you were speaking, I had goosebumps with um, the potential of what you're saying, because I've always held that what is called that in the past, we um, Africans didn't have art in that you hang on walls. If something was hung on a wall, it was hung for a reason to tell a story. Mm -hmm. So that any of many of these materials that are in the museums that people just look at, where they in where when before they were taken, were there as a means of telling a story and holding some knowledge. So what you're saying now is helping me to visualize that anytime any of these materials, whether they're held in, for example, the British Museum for the Kenyan government, but it is owned by the Kenyan government on loan, for example, to the British Museum, which means that archaeologists from Kenya could go confidently to the British Museum to look at that piece of material and say, what does this thing mean? What did it mean to my people? Yes, everyone else might be looking at it as a lovely um, sculpture, but to my people, this is what it meant, and this is what it links to other things I've found, then the unlocking of that knowledge, the potential for it is, is immense, especially in a world that is seeking answers that it hasn't got. Africa is seeking some answers on, for example, how do we govern ourselves if we want to look back into what worked in the past for us and not follow what other people were doing. Could those materials then help us unlock, okay, this is a kind of governance system that work with our identities and help us build. Like they say, if you don't have history, it is different, difficult to have an identity, a strong identity. 
Absolutely. I think when we talk about also restitution, we also talk about restituting the knowledge, restituting the history. So it's not just a matter of, uh, you know, what is current and what is new or what is, uh, you know, people are talking about. So you've summed it very well. I, I think the world has a shared heritage. We are all together. We are, we are one and the same people. And we can share this knowledge. And it so happens that some of, you know, particular parts of the world had to go some kind of experience that may have not been very good. But it's time to move on. But at the same time, say, okay, what is it that was accumulated during this time that can be able to help us? And not only in defining our identity to the present, but also molding ourselves in such a way that we can be equal contributors with the rest of the world, using that knowledge of the past that is mostly stored in what our ancestors created, in the knowledge that they developed, and that we probably don't find in our possession at this particular time. So yes, the British Museum, the Louvre, and many other museums in Europe have a lot of material from Africa, and uh, we would like to share uh, that because it is in those some of those materials, in those archives, that some of this knowledge, that uh, knowledge gaps that we have can be filled in. But there is no doubt that like any other continent and like any other people, Africans have always been creators and they have always been uh, leading also from the front. Uh, and uh, archaeology is, 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 is unbiased. It tells you what was there. And, and that's why archaeology is critical to understanding African history and also Africa's contribution to the world. But it should not just be finding out. It should be, okay, now we've got this. What can we do with it to make the world better? How can we also use this knowledge that has been created in Africa for years and generations to be able to make a better world for the youth, for women, for children, for the elders, for men, for everybody else? I think it is absolutely critical. And how do we ensure that that past fits in in a world of information technology, that a world that is being driven today uh, with information technology, that is, is, is very critical. It has to merge. It has to merge into that. How does it fit in that? How does some of these creations that Africans have created, like, you know, in terms of navigation, in terms of understanding the stars to move from place to place, in terms of, of communication from one place to exchange goods, can we be able to be contributors just like any other parts of the world? Yes, we can. There's something you said a little bit earlier when you were speaking, and you said you said something about flexible borders. And that's how the African continent, from what I've, I've seen so far, was organized. But we are now in a society where borders are fixed yes. and people are separated. Mm. When in reality, the way people used to live, those borders are flexible, like you said, intermarriages and all that. So there might be a war and the borders shift, but in time, the border can shift back. So it, it the border was not fixed, but a reflection of what was happening on the ground in society. And many of the conflicts on the African continent, sometimes within people who you know must have been relatives, are caused because of a fixed border. And sometimes I, I wonder, in getting the knowledge that peaceful, perhaps more peace, there was more peace, mm. and compatible societies when there wasn't a fixed border. Mm. How could that 
educate us in, in finding peace in our world today? You know, one of the areas where African heritage is so rich is in the heritage of peace and conflict resolution. We did fight. Nobody can say you don't fight. But we had mechanisms of ensuring that peace was created. And we fought over sometimes over resources. For example, in dry areas in the desert, there are very limited resources, water holes, grasslands to graze. And so there will be conflict from time to time. But within the societies themselves, it was ensured that there were mechanisms for resolving those things. Some of those mechanisms were actually embedded in material culture that now are found in the museums. The National Museums of Kenya in the 1990s actually started a process of using its own cultural material for peace, to create peace among compulsorialist communities when it came to, you know, sort of, uh, you know, conflict due to, to resources. And it worked because there are some things when it is brought out, it just makes people say, no, we can't go beyond this. This is it. They respect it. Now, today we find them in the museums. We may not find them at home in the, the homes. This is why we want that museums become live, active spaces in people's lives, because those knowledge systems are in, inside there. Those materials are inside there. We can still use them. Today, we have a challenge with climate change. So resources are dwindling. Definitely, there will be a lot of conflicts. Now, how do we use that knowledge of peace and conflict resolution, what we call the heritage of peace, to bring sense back to the fact that we can share the little that we have and that through a common understanding, including flexible borders, that we can coexist and live peacefully and even create more and make better life rather than fighting. So for me, that is very critical. It is even more critical in the time of climate change where resources are becoming scarce. We need to go back to that knowledge. We need to go back to that heritage to be able to make it a present living contract with us so that we can be able to use it. Because we have now a lot of problems and we don't know how to go about them. And yet, in the past, these were normal things and we used them and it brought us together. And that's why we survived up to now. Even during very difficult times, even of massacres and all that, you know, through all kinds of things, we have managed to live in Africa and live peacefully and live up to now. We've gone through very difficult situations. But we also have a lot of conflicts, some of the conflicts not from within the continent, but with the interest of outside world. How do we as Africans sit down and say, you know, we have our ways of solving these things. We have our ways embedded in historical records, embedded in historical reality, and embedded on the lives that we've lived and experienced all this time. So for me, there is absolute need to rethink the way we do things so that we can go back. Where we failed, we go back and say, where did we go wrong? Are there possibilities of using some of these resources, whether it's heritage, whether it's knowledge resources of the past that have always made us 
go beyond our challenges? I think we can. I think we can very, very easily. And if you look at the conflicts in Africa now, there are many. Because some of these traditional binding systems have been made to collapse because of intrusions and other things that come about. So I think this is the right time to go back and start reflecting on that past and saying, we think that, you know, this knowledge and this material and these resources that we have should not be in vain, but we should be able to use them in the present current situation and acclimatize them and make them work for us in the present generation. Yeah. Thank you. Look, I, I I could listen to you forever. I could, I could ask you more questions. But so promise me, please, that we will have another conversation because there's more I want to ask you about the UNESCO heritage sites and other things that you've said here that I'd want us to explore more. But if I asked you one last question, which is what would you, if there's one thought you'd want to leave with an African listener, to this podcast at this point, what would it be? One thing you'd want to leave with them? What I would want to leave with them is that Africa and Africans are very rich in their heritage. We have a long history. Africa is the cradle of humankind. We have been very inventive. But a lot of this has gone through the window and we can bring it back. We need to respect it, we need to rethink it, and we need to reuse what we can. It is extremely important that we start respecting our knowledge systems and that we apply that knowledge systems to our current challenges and also our current opportunities to enhance whatever we are trying to do. And I think if we do that, if we recognize the past, as a resource and recognize the knowledge of the elders as a resource. And we acknowledge that it is possible to use it in the present. I think we would have made a huge step forward and it can't be wrong. It will always be right. Yeah, I hear you asking for a mindset change. Exactly. You sure, yes. Thank you. George, thank you very much for um, sharing this time with us. And I really hope we can have another conversation. There's more. We will definitely have another conversation. With Africa is a big continent with a lot of issues to discuss. And uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity. And I look forward to us talking again. Thank you.